0: Hi, I'm Frankie Frane, and I've been making movies since I was a kid. I've made three low-budget feature films of varying success, and I went to film school. Twice. For better or worse, I've developed a science for completing feature-length projects on pocket change, and it has a lot to do with the kinds of conversations you'll hear on this podcast with teachers, friends, and artists. You don't have to pay 40 grand a year for bad advice. This is Discount Film School. Hey, welcome back. One of the awesome things about doing this podcast so far is uh, I'm talking to people that, um, while I've had the occasional Facebook correspondence with here and there, um, I haven't really gotten to to talk to one-on-one with live human audio. So uh, I'm talking to Paul Santagata, who uh, uh, we, we knew each other and worked with one another for years, actually. Had a lot of mutual friends. But I feel like it wasn't really until after I graduated that we started talking a little bit more uh and got involved in each other's work um i remember you did a very kind thing and screened abo the Hume monkey for me uh in uh films from the margin a little organization you put together at emerson yeah that actually had had a
1: um like a history of it used to be like a really big thing and everybody and a bunch of people um also hi um hey <laughs> <laughs> uh would screen all kinds of weird stuff and um had a huge following and then it disappeared for a bunch of years and then um it, a couple few friends of mine had brought it back, and I got involved with it that way. Um, yeah, and then Abo totally fit the bill, so we yeah had a screening. It was a lot of fun.
0: So why don't we start from from kind of the beginning? Uh, before college, what were I mean were you were you an arts kid or not really? Um, I guess I was.
1: Um, the place where I grew up was just full of like a bunch of. Hippies and weirdos and awesome people and where, where from? Just, uh, like Newpaltz, New York, which is like an hour and a half north of New York City. Okay. Um.
0: So you wouldn't call so it up? You wouldn't call it upstate New York, but it's like, just a little north of the city.
1: Yeah, it's upstate if you're from the city, but if you're from anywhere else, then yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it isn't. <laughs> the sliding scale—it's very confusing. Um, but yeah, I've been really into like, uh photography mostly and music and other fun new media stuff when i figured out photoshop was a thing was a lot of
0: was cool. that the was a that a was that a big clicker was it just being like whoa i can manipulate an image way beyond what i ever thought was possible
1: yeah so i was doing lots of fun things with that and um then i started going to colleges and stuff uh just stopped by emerson on a whim and everybody was making stuff and everybody was super happy i was like oh okay <laughs> there are yeah. Let's do this. This uh, this school. cool. Um, so it jumped on in like the new media program, which I didn't know what it was, and still didn't. And my thesis was about how it was a completely made up term.
0: T- talk um, talk about that because that's not something that a lot of people know about. We have um, I've said it before on past episodes that the the college we went to didn't it, it it became interested in not selling itself as purely a narrative fiction film school. It wanted to kind of introduce a lot of. Um, you know, kind of, uh, yeah, new media elements, especially as, like, social media was growing right at that time. Uh, it became, it, 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 I think that the school thought and still thinks that it could pull in a lot of, uh, you know, a really diverse candidate pool by reaching outside of that, and then it, it could also kind of succeed a little bit more if we don't make the best films, which is the case. Um, so, but this thing developed called New Media, um, but it wasn't computer science, and it wasn't animation, and it you know you couldn't really kind of put your finger on it. It was just the, and and it was taught by like theorists and not, not you know like artists. <laughs> no offense, to, there were a few artists involved, but they didn't they weren't really like the new media guys. So talk about that a little bit.
1: Um, yeah, so there was this weird conglomeration of a program that they actually. It'd uh, probably better to talk to Kyle
0: about this because he was. Yeah, way more in, the, in that uh, than I was. But, but he'll go um, on. He'll go on and on and on. So <laughs> <laughs> it's way better to talk um, to you. It was torn up between um, like
1: some aspects of post production and some aspects of like theoretical emerging communication technologies and God.
0: What did you yeah, want? So what did like, what? a
1: little bit of animation classes. I didn't know. I was actually torn right between all freaking aspects of it, which was perfectly appropriate because I didn't have any body of work or like reels or um, cool projects and stuff to speak of like during the application process. And it all seemed super interesting. So I was like, I'll just try to get in and figure it out. So you actually
0: so you weren't really cynical, like despite how kind of wishy washy it was, you weren't really that cynical about it?
1: No, I totally embraced it because so they'll be like, "All right, cool, I can do all these things," and I guess they'll uh, still give me a little piece of paper at the end, and, and they did. Says that I did something, yeah, and which is amazing because my like the final work ended up being about how like this is all nonsense. This is all just the same stuff, just done slightly differently.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I I ended up going you know, for my master's after that, and it, it got even more wishy washy, and, and but you could tell how much they wanted to really push that that element of it. I remember I ran into, especially since I work in IT. Uh, there was an assumption on the faculty that knew me from my job and not from my personal life. They were like, this guy's gonna, he, you know, hopefully he's gonna bring us something really new media-y. And when I was like, no, man, I wanna make a, a movie about my wife's ass. Um, they were like, well, that's boring. <laughs> so so I, I just did it anyway and then uh, the occasional faculty member liked it, but most of them, it was just panned. Uh, but the outside world seemed to enjoy it, so that was good. Um
1: yeah, and you, you got a little bit of the theoretical, uh, like what this does to people and how it all.
0: Yeah, I thought so. I mean, how it can I, that, affect relationships. It's, it's all in there. That was the plan. Yeah, but but what's interesting about going to film school is that um, they don't—at least in my experience—they don't put as much of an emphasis on um, the content that you know. Because you take a movie like Sexually Frank, I'm trying to say something about sex and relationships. I'm not trying to, I, although I do. There is a heavy element of saying something about art and filmmaking I'm not I'm not doing you know the movie's not a thesis on like here's the kinds of things we can create it's it's really just a personal story and so there, there was a number of things like that where people wanted to do documentaries about this subject or that subject but they were like yeah but can't you tell us something more about social media that they wanted to kind of fit that in somehow and it was like no th- they, actually this person just wants to talk about like uh, uh, you know female circumcision in Africa <laughs> <laughs> and they just need a camera and some editing. <laughs> but uh anyway. <laughs> so then so you move out to LA uh after graduation, yeah? Um yeah, actually I moved to New York first and was
1: living in the city, working in the music industry in new media, doing like all sorts of fun stuff for um for a label and doing that like some of the time and then also started doing visual effects for this like uh very ambitious children's film that had lots and lots of visual effects in it. That was a total like indie production, which was a lot of fun. And like we started learning some of the stuff and just like doing crazy hours and um essentially doing most of this work for almost free, which was like not ill-advised because I had like the other job that kind of was paying for everything and just like learned tons and tons and tons about like production and visual effects stuff and completely fell in love with it to the point where it was like occupying way more of my time and thoughts and energy than the, uh, than the uh, new media music industry thing.
0: What was it? the What was it? The capture, if I remember correctly, you, I mean, you enjoy toys. You enjoy new ideas, new new technologies. I remember, I mean, uh, e- you know, even just when like new compositing software would come out, you'd be like, "Ooh, what's this?" And and, and yeah, and like, we, you kind of start with, um, you know, what does this mean that I can do versus like having an initial idea that you wanted to see.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of carried out like continually for me. Hmm. Like I would find. Again, it comes back to being like, whoa, Photoshop's a thing? Cause yeah, exactly. Would be dealing with like, uh, would doing like a lot of photo stuff in my free time and doing stuff for the, um, for the radio station at college and just running around and doing my own things and learning about cameras and just really just playing yeah. with all this stuff and then being able to manipulate it and push it as far as I wanted to and then being like, oh, wait, this can also work for moving footage.
0: So and what was the production in New York?
1: What film was um, it? Um, It was this really small movie that I'm not sure if it ever got finished, um, but it was called
0: Bubble Trouble. Bubble Trouble. Look for it. Bubble
1: Uh, (laughs) Um, Trouble. It was a filmmaker from Massachusetts that um, had this all-children cast with this um, extremely political, uh, really odd story about aliens coming down to the White House and kids wanting to learn how kids like alien kids wanting to play um, it's very strange but, but it had a lot of great
0: work but that was, that was the fun. production that was the production where you were like yes visual effects like that's what I want to be doing so what was and you said you were doing lots of cool things specifically what you know were you doing compositing work were you doing mocap what like what kinds of things were were called upon for that project
1: yeah it was just a lot of uh, compositing work and just at first I was just sort of like a like tracking sort of PA kind of guy, just like jamming through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shots, just like creating all the information that would, that a compositor would use later to kind of put everything together and get to the final shot. And then they're like, Whoa, this guy's, he's digging this. And he's learning and he's working mm. better and faster and like paying attention, which I guess is cool. So they gave me a bunch of shots and stuff to work on and got to build that. And, and, um, the guy that was running the place down there was really cool, and would do things like stay up with me all night working on something just because I had an idea mm. for some other project that I was working on. So I was like, "Okay, yeah, this is this is totally fun." And if I get burnt out on it, I want to get immersed in it as quickly and as deeply as possible.
0: How skilled were you coming into that production, uh, or or you know, did you have kind of a foundation?
1: Um, sort of had a foundation. There were a couple of books that they that are kind of like Bibles of of digital compositing that I had like skimmed through and read over and a handful of like little shots that I'd just been dicking around with. But, um, I had, didn't really have much production experience at that point.
0: If you're kind of a beginner, how do you get a job like that?
1: Uh, you say, I I just agreed to do it for like this outrageously small stipend. Yeah. Um, just because I also had the other gig that was paying for like your life, rent and food and and stuff. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: so I, but, doing stuff like for like crazy cheap and doing stuff on spec I really wouldn't recommend anybody do ever at all mm. it was just this particular circumstance where I had the the expendable time to be able to get on my feet and learn the
0: craft what what is it about you know those kind of unpaid internships and un- unpaid unpaid work that you think is dangerous
1: um it's your time and your effort and you should be compensated for that, like unconditionally. Um, your, yeah, your energy and your attention is really your only unrenewable resource.
0: But but so, some people some people might think. But the only way that I'm going to learn this stuff, or the only way I'm going to kind of get down a vocabulary, or or even get to know people that might help me get a paid job, is to kind of throw myself into a free situation.
1: In a lot of ways, you can, but it shouldn't be something that somebody else could eventually be profiting off of. Hmm. if you can help it like if you're doing stuff with friends or you're doing stuff with I mean like your entire crew like it's just friends of yours that are like I just want to hang out and make a movie yeah like it's there's a, there's a great value to that and there's all sorts of productions and stuff that I do with my friends out here for free just because it's just things that we want to make yeah so there's a difference between that and difference between somebody being like not maliciously cheap but just like setting the precedent that it's okay to use people's work and time, yeah, and to exploit that rather than yeah,
0: it's just unethical uh, in, in our case it's yeah. just, I mean we're not we're not being capitalistic really in in any way exactly um you know
1: the theory- right which I'm saying, which is the the fun, awesome, brilliant way of things rather yeah. than being manipulated by a producer into doing like spec work that they never call you back on or something,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. um Kyle said it a number of times he you know he DP'd the movie and he he said a number of times like. Yeah, he could almost yeah you know, like not even see a finished project. It, it wouldn't really matter. It was it, the the experience was fun. Um, I think I might have been a little bummed out if we <laughs> if we had forgotten to record the entire thing. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but yeah, I I actually agree. I mean, it, it, like every film that led up to that was was more fun. The first one was just not fucking fun. And 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 why or how I had the patience to be like, maybe someday some project will be fun. I don't know. I think it has more because it must have more to do than just it, it it must there must be something in it for me that Kyle doesn't necessarily have at least for for film projects which is there, there's got to be some kind of uh element of c- completing or or um maybe there's an ego extended to it I'm I'm not sure but uh, I, I otherwise you know I I just wouldn't have made it past the first year of trying to shoot that first one but then I got you know then Abo was a lot more fun um because suddenly you had people who were interested and then the third one was just um just a complete fucking blast. I, everybody was there for the right reasons. That was the film that, you know, it was like, okay, not going to do the LA thing. I'm gonna go do it for the right reasons. So that was awesome. So now you have you come you come out of that production finished or not um not with bubble trouble, but with skills, bubble skills. <laughs> and uh does that lead to, are you like, all right, you know what, like, now that I know that I want to do, like, there's something very specific I could be doing for a career. I'm prepared to move to LA. Was that kind of how it worked? Um,
1: yeah, mostly. Um, cause, so I'm on that tear of just trying to learn and get completely immersed in as much production stuff as I possibly can. And, um, there is this amazing training website called FX PhD that, um, you sign up and there's just like tons of classes and like vpn access to like probably at this point like a hundred thousand dollars worth of software wow and um like professors that are all like supervisors and artists and just like really high-end industry people that are all taking their time and energy to like craft all these like really advanced like not like linda style like this is a dropdown. This is how we use the puppet tool in After Effects. Yep. It's like, all right, cool, we're gonna we're gonna blow up this thing in Houdini and we're gonna like get here this way and this is what our final project is gonna look like and you're gonna end up with a lot of amazing like shots and shorts and sometimes entire sequences worth of like actual narrative stuff that you can present as your own projects or use on your reel or like just make amazing things with.
0: Do you remember Switch. do you remember an early visual effects shot that you were like, This is fucking I'm this is so exciting? Um yeah, there was a challenge where
1: they were like sometimes they'd be like, We want you to do something sort of like this. Here's a bunch of pieces, you guys figure it out, and then at the end we'll take everybody's submissions and we'll sit down and we'll do like an hour and a half long review mm-hmm. of everybody's submissions, talking about what works, what doesn't, what like how they solved this problem and what they did with this stuff. Um and when I was working on one of those, which is that time that I said that the guy that owned the place, that owned the facility where I was working on that independent movie, he was like, mm, "Yeah, we're we're gonna stay up until the sun comes up, working on this and building this stuff, and I'm gonna show you how all these pieces work together, and we're gonna have fun, and it's gonna be great." And just doing that was just like, yes, yeah. I was it was like blowing up a Range Rover or something, and we uh, like found a model online and started like playing with that and building off of that and like putting it in the scene and lighting it and modeling it and doing all this stuff with this extra explosion plate and like figuring out how to best integrate those pieces together. And I look back at the shot like kind of recently and was like, Oh, there's so much that I would have done better and differently. And that just doesn't fly with how I would uh, put it together now. But, um, but yeah, the experience of like learning what works and what doesn't and how to like see around things. And, um, how to lay everything together so it all looks like it was photographed together was uh,
0: was that a was that an entirely visual effects shot or was it um, did did you have a live you know was there a live because you said that you got a model of the Range Rover but I'm, but you also mentioned there was a live plate
1: yeah yeah so it's uh, I was integrating that like that
0: CG model into the live plate and then integrating also this like explosion plate and mm-hmm. so there was no car. Uh, in the live play, there was just what just terrain um yeah, it was just like like a uh, out in the field and like a
1: missile was supposed to have hit it or something um, but yeah, that was like a because you spent- sound kind of silly to talk about it here, but spending like <laughs> no I mean days and days working on it based off of like this like one really intense, awesome like all night session that the owner of this like boutique house just decided, yeah, we're gonna stay up and do this yeah and I was totally on board, and it was just, like, so, so great to be able to, like, just uh, dig down and jam through projects.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so what then? So, so, di- sorry, by this point, are you in L.A.?
1: Um, yeah, so I had, like, jammed on a lot of that training and just learned tons and tons of stuff and moved to L.A. with... Mm, nary a prospect uh it was just like yeah i'll just show up and then uh put my put whatever stuff i've worked on so far together and then just start sending it out and see what happens
0: is anybody ever um, really any more prepared to go to la than that though i mean that's pretty much everybody goes with a fucking dream in the pocket <laughs> isn't that um,
1: yes absolutely <laughs> yeah I mean some people have the have the sensible thing of like trying to get some contacts together or try to like have meetings or have like some uncle or some friend who would be like yeah I'll get you in here and the uh yeah. you do some like uh crazy PA work or whatever like running around in reality shows just something that I really didn't have any
0: Yeah I I interest I, on. I just went out there cuz somebody at one point told me I should move to LA and so I did and I ate a bunch of wiener schnitzel for 4 months and then I went home. <laughs> it was uh, it was a giant fast food chain. That's what I remember most of all. But it was kind of I I mean I worked at um I worked at 20th Century Fox as an intern for a bit. And that was kind of fun. Um although it was right during it was 2007, so it was right during the writer strike. And uh I remember like they they actually came to the interns and were like, "If you guys have any reality show ideas, now's the time to pitch them." And uh I had like I think I wanted to do The Biggest Winner, which, like, it's whoever can get fattest by the end of the season. (laughs) Yeah, which seems way more fun to me than watching people lose weight. (laughs) See, like, doing, like, before and afters of, like, you used to be skinny. (laughs) Now you're just (laughs) massive. (laughs) People are cheering them on and shit. Or people are just bummed out. Just a live studio audience of bummed out people. (laughs) No one's applauding anything. I actually wrote this as a proposal and submitted it. And then I had one that was uh it was called Stink Pot and it was you have to get through the season without a shower and there's like all kinds of uh obstacles for like you have to cover yourself in garlic and go to a movie and <laughs> whoever's there the longest and shit. And if you get voted off, you get shoved into a giant uh uh washing machine in a in a grand tribute. <laughs> But I actually put that together and I submitted it, and nobody got back to me. Nobody even was like, "Thank you." <laughs> they just took my piece of paper, and that was that. But that was kind. Of, that was definitely an, an interesting time, just being on the lot and, and whatnot. But um, but yeah, I don't. I, I remember uh, specifically um, having friends who I hadn't seen since they went out to LA. We kind of reunited, and they were really creative back home um or they were really active you know they were writing comedy sketches they, they were doing this that and the other and then suddenly like they had this kind of you know a compromised job of some kind and they would come home every day and you know not not go to the script and 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 that whatever that job was was supposed to be the ends you know the the means to the end of being a filmmaker and somehow it really killed it and at first i was like well you obviously don't want it enough cuz like it, nothing would stop me but there there is something about um for me anyway there was something about the heat there's something about the city that just kept me and now i work a 9 to 5 and and i do nothing but make films so i th- i think i think environment and family and who you're around has a lot to do with it but it sounds like you once you decided like look i want to i just want i you know i i just need to get to a visual effects house and uh, i'm my excitement will kind of carry me through so what was the first job um the first
1: so as i was on my way out to la I did this um Little loop of a, like week and a half long road trip, um, was like, know I think that was right before I moved out, um, when Michael Jackson had died. Oh yeah. And um, so, the production that I eventually ended up on for my first gig was um, doing shots that were going to be the concert visuals for his concert series. This is it. Which was then getting, yeah, which was then getting spinned into the This Is It movie. Um, So I had put out a bunch of, like, reel and resume and just hitting up houses being like, hey, I'm out here and it would be great to work on this stuff. Here's my reel. Um, After making a list of, like, a bunch of cool companies that I had seen in Cinefix, which is, like, um, the journal of, like, cool visual effects stuff where they just cover, like... This, these are the movies that had come out recently. These are all the cool things that they had done. This is all the, the great like information, like interviews with the post like with all the um, Visual Effects Studios and the supervisors and all the cool things that they had made. So like in every single one of the uh, emails that I had sent out it would be like, Hey, your guys work in this was great and was reading about this and like mentioning some of the people that they had interviewed in the in the magazine and it seemed like it works and was kind of receptive because 'cause I'd gotten an email back being like, Hey, come in and interview for this thing. And the interview ended up being just talking about like people that they had worked with and like kind of fun projects that they had done. And me just being like, yo, dude, let's start. Like I'm, yeah, I learn crazy fast and I'm super cheap because I just need a job. And, um, yeah. So just had done a bunch of work on that and, uh, they're like, Hey, a TV season starting. You want to do some TV stuff? I'm like, uh, sure. Why the hell not? And just kind of has gone on from there so the way the visual effects works is that it's like a client vendor relationship so so the studio will have like a bunch of clients or they'll have like um the place where i actually am still am like does a mix of like film work and tv work so like you'll have like tv season and then tv season will finish and then they'll pick up a couple movies and work on film stuff that way and then that'll end and float right back into tv season and it's this like great mix of like having uh longer projects where you get to work on fewer shots and or like shots where you get to like drill down and do like a hundred versions of something um for like a film or something where you need to do like you get a dozen versions and that shit just needs to be out the door because the show is airing in like three days. Yeah. Um so you just like get to exercise all these really great disparate muscles of this is what I do when I have a month to work on a shot, and this is what I do when I have three hours to work on a shot.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, I imagine TV is is more nuts than anything. You know, the way they describe it to to anyone who doesn't know is, you know, movies take fucking forever uh, be, between development and all the various production stages, and um, and TV is just a crazy crunch. What gets written on Monday goes out on Friday, and I imagine for the visual effects world, where at least in its beginnings, you know, to to create a visual effects shot in the early days would would take weeks and, you know, that that's a long turnover times and whatnot. And then I don't know, for, for geeks like me, when I, I started waking up to like what, what was possible is what Weta was doing. and it was suddenly like they were coming up against, you know they, they they had plates that hadn't even planned for visual effects shots and uh they were coming up against like the premiere is on Monday and we are like a major, major movie and we have ninety more shots to go, like in three days and shit. And I was just like, this is, this is insane. Um, So TV, I imagine has kind of developed into that a little bit. Um,
1: yeah, like over the last, I don't know, decade or so, it's gotten to the point where like shows can have a visual effects budget and shows can like build and work around the idea of like, no, we can do all these things and use all of this like visual shorthand and like do stuff on green screen and be confident enough that it'll be done by the time like this stuff needs to go out yeah. um, so it's like as all the tools and stuff have gotten better, and the artists have also like learned and gotten on board with the idea of uh, yeah, this stuff needs to get turned around super fast that everybody uh it just enables that the whole TV industry to jump on board with doing all sorts of fun and tech stuff.
0: Do you think that's one of your major assets is, is your, is your quickness, Yeah, you know, quickness with a quality of standard or standard of quality. Excuse me. Um,
1: more than that, it's just the mentality of like, this has to get done. Yeah. Cause I've worked with like, there've been instances where there'll be an artist that's coming from like a really big place that does mostly movies like um like one of the really major houses. And like when something doesn't work or if something's like wrong or if there's an issue, their first impulse is, Well that needs to go back to whatever, like whoever had this before me in the chain or this like you need to have this guy fix this thing because this isn't right. Whereas like if you're not working on film, you don't have that luxury, you don't have that time, you don't have that ability. It's like, well if this roto's wrong, just like just go in and fix all the math yourself and yeah, just make it happen because there needs to, this stuff needs to be out the door.
0: Yeah. And, and especially I'm sure if you're a vendor, you're not able to like demand like, Hey, we need you guys to go back out and shoot some new plates because yeah, because the rotor's wrong or, you know, from that point it's just like, look, it has to get done. It's just going to require heavy lifting from some poor sap. <laughs> and, uh, uh, if you have that attitude, I'm sure you go far. Yeah. And it's just like, well, I guess I have to be
1: that poor set because, like, it would be so much faster and so much easier for me to knock this out than to try to send it back and get it assigned to somebody and, like, wait for them and then wait for yeah. their, like, QC. And...
0: Yeah. Even have one more meeting about it. <laughs> just like... Yeah. Oh,
1: oh. Oh, meetings are just time that you're not spending working.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I always, you know, I you you got my attention for sure. You've worked on lots of shows actually. Um anybody can run over to his IMDb and, and take take a look, but um uh, I was blindsided by Breaking Bad just because I'm such a fucking fan as is the rest of the world at this point, but it it's a perfect goddamn show. Um but I I don't uh, uh my eye doesn't see visual effects shots, but I'm sure that it, it's such a visually rich show. I'm sure there's visual effects shots all over the place. What kinds of shots did you do for them? <laughs>
1: Um, so for that, so I had like one shot on one episode, which like, I guess is enough to have a credit on it, but, um,
0: (laughs) that's enough. That would be enough for me to like go to heaven and shit. Like I, I, I could, yeah, like
1: that carried my creative integrity through way more projects than I care to mention here. (laughs) Just being able to have done that one, one little thing. Yes. Um, but yeah, there was there's a scene that involves um, legs not being on a person that uh, that I got to work on, which was a lot of fun. I'm
0: trying to think of what it was now. Which one was it? I was in a hospital, and
1: oh yeah, kind of an
0: accident. Oh, was, yeah. I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to. Yeah, yeah. No spoilers, but but there's uh, yeah. I I totally know what you're talking about. And that's a long shot. Is the point? Um. Yeah, I don't know if it's the exact shot that you're thinking of. But um crawling yeah, so there's, Craw- there's actually
1: there's a lot of fun pro- mm. uh, hmm? I, I'm thinking of when he's crawling. Uh yeah, yeah. yeah. There's some of some of that stuff. Um, I like it, man. So that was fun. And then the next thing that I was like, uh and then there's movies and things, but another highlight of things that I was really happy
0: about was uh
1: I got to do some stuff on a couple episodes of Game of Thrones last season, which was
0: so really pretty, great. So pretty much the two highest regarded television series. Um, out there right now so who do you who do you work what, what's the company you work for they obviously get hired for all kinds of great stuff
1: um the company that i've been at for like the last few years on and off in sort of like a hey here's projects come come on freelance come on freelance and just keeps coming back and going mm-hmm. with them it's called entity effects in santa monica um they did they've been doing like all small Smallville since like seasons two i think to ten so it was a long period of that and that uh and that finished and now doing a lot of stuff with like right now with uh, the fourth season of vampire diaries yeah um i'm working on every show of that which i know is a, is a favorite <laughs> of nina's from listening to your to your other shows
0: <laughs> my wife watches the shit out of that um <laughs> I'll I'll just say it incriminatingly here. I have to we we watch it on Thursday live on television. Uh, I'm probably editing a pod while she's watching it, and then I have to torrent it the next morning. So I've got I I just have seasons and seasons of Vampire Diaries, and she'll normally watch it once or twice more. But there's there's a posterity to needing all of them, and she knows it's it's the grossest of guilty pleasures. Uh, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she she likes it when I it, there is kind of a like a quietness a silence that's required during those forty four minutes, but on the rewatches I'm allowed to MST three K it just a little bit. No, it's um I get to do a lot of
1: uh, like digital prosthetic kind of stuff like making uh, making them into vampires when they get in their little vampire mode, uh, the veins on their face and
0: they do a lot of uh, werewolf stuff too, right? They they, they break their bones. Yeah, I got to do with some of the. Yeah, yeah, I got to do
1: some of the uh, like bone-breaking stuff, which is a lot of fun because it's like integrating like digital limbs onto people and like uh, making them all wolfy. What's which your is,
0: what's your cool. what's your favorite kind of kind of stuff to do? I mean, do you do you like um, <clears throat> do you have kind of a preference for like I really like blowing stuff up, or or I like the, the more subtle bits, or I used to be a big color grading guy too, and and we haven't talked about that at all.
1: Um. Yeah, I'm actually in my on my other monitor, I have a French short film that I'm doing the color grade for that's open right now. Uh so that's still something that I'm into and still do a lot of great stuff. But as far as the visual effects stuff, I really like doing the digital prosthetic stuff just because you get to like integrate it with uh <clears throat> sorry. Um integrate it with some performance things and kind of just try to elevate the scene through all the little bits and stuff that you're adding to it. Um but a big favorite of mine is doing, like, environment stuff or tricky camera stuff where you have to, like, either change or replace, um, like, a camera move or reconstruct a scene like or a whole area and then drop the plates and stuff in there. Yeah. Because that stuff can be really great. Like, there was a shot that I had done where um, they wanted the camera to start. Like, it was like a dolly pull out. After a sequence, um, somebody looking at a city, and they're like, "Oh, we want this to start. Like, we want the camera to start like more over his shoulder." It's like, okay, well, if you want the camera to start over the shoulder, and then they want it to like back out into the actual move, but they just wanted the first half to have like some weight to it and move a lot faster. Like I'm making the move in the Skype camera. Yep, yep. Um, I can't really describe.
0: (laughs) He's kind of kind of pulling it out.
1: Um, and yeah, so they wanted it, yeah. to pull out to be faster and start in a different place. And it's like, okay, well, that means I need to completely reconstruct this entire area where this entire thing is taking place in, and like rebuild all these pieces like in 3D, and then track the camera in 3D. And so I have you create this like false um, sort of like an equivalent space in 3D. So you have like a render that matches what the actual camera move is doing. yep and then you can kind of stretch out and change the positioning of the camera for everything past this frame so then you can start it over this other piece and pull it back and have all this other information that you have to paint in and recreate that wasn't there before because the camera only captures exactly what is in front of it
0: yeah it's fucked up to me that that's somehow cheaper ultimately than going out and reshooting it but that's that's also because i'm i'm just old enough to remember when doing work like that was was so massive and expensive um, and and now it's it really is it's probably possible on your home computer as long as they give you the right, <clears throat> the right software.
1: Oh totally yeah like um, and speaking to like the color grading and the like home computer software thing like I'm grading the short on a four year old MacBook Pro like it's not even the unibody kind it still has like the <laughs> it doesn't even have the little chiclet keys um, oh, yeah so you can just do like completely insane stuff with like as long as you have the expendable time and like abilities. So let me look at some of these renders, render time, 15 hours, 14, uh, seven hours, seven hours, 15 hours. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just like, I'll just leave my computer on all day, just like burning through some render of something that I'll be able to use later just because like the great thing about, uh, fun little indie projects is that you don't have any
0: hard deadlines. Like
1: the- yeah, the only there's, – there's no deadline, and you have to take advantage of the fact that the time – your time and, like, time to spend on it is the resource that you yes. can use to just, like, achieve some sort of standard of quality.
0: Exactly. My, you know, I, I, I have – I edited the last two features, which were both in HD, on uh, a Dell with, uh, Intel Core 2 Duo, 3 gigs of RAM, um, nothing special. Uh, you know, (laughs) and, 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 uh, you know, there, I had to be patient at times, although I edited a lot of sexually Frank on my, on my ThinkPad, which has, uh, only two gigs of Ram, otherwise the same specs. Uh, I just copied everything to the local hard drive and then started editing that way so that I could edit in bed and and be with my wife. So I'm kind of working on something while we're watching something so that I'm not completely locked off from society and shit. And also I I take, I drive on the bus all the time. So I'm always on the bus. Um, you know, lots of work gets done there, so it's trying to find in the nooks and crannies of your life those you know the, the time. And for me, so far, being patient with slightly slower technology uh, so that I don't have to sit at some massive desk machine has been really helpful with that. What it means is exactly what you're saying, which is that like when I leave in the morning to go to work, something's rendering, uh, something's transcoding. When I come home, like switch disk, something else is burning. Like it, there's all as we speak right now, I'm sitting in front of my desk there's you know i've got a blu-ray going like there's always always when there's not it feels weird i'm like this is a fucking these are two wasted computers (laughs) yeah what do you what do you use for color grading
1: um right now i'm using after effects with um combination of colorista yeah um, which is from magic bullet or from red giant sorry yeah um Uh, Curves uh, effect is absolutely the best, like, Curves interface I've ever used for anything. Um, it's, like, better than, it's, anything's better than the one that's built in After Effects, but it's better than the one in Photoshop, it's better than the ones in, like, Scratch and Lustre, like, it's on par with, like, a handful of tools in Nuke, which is what I tend to use at work, um, like, almost exclusively, um, which isn't really for color, it's a compositing application. Um, but yeah, so colorista free slope curves and the uh d v rebel tool kit, which is uh i believe it's free now it was bundled with um Stu mashwitz d v rebels guide, which is like totally required reading for anybody interested in doing any sort of indie uh indie production work with like real any indie, indie work with like really high production values that utilizes a lot of uh fun post software.
0: I run into uh, uh, student filmmakers cons or, or even a aspi- not, not necessarily students, but even just aspiring filmmakers all the time who are freaked out by technology. Um, and, and, and it's not some, some of them admit it. Some of them, you can just kind of see it in their actions They're You know, that you list off a list of software like that. And I think that people, you know, just kind of blank and are like, I, I don't know what any of that is. And I don't know how to learn any of it. And I think it's easy to fall prey to, uh, because I've done it myself. Um, but the the only reason that, like, you know, I, I work as a sysadmin now, and I uh, I do all of the the post on my my own films. I even do the sound editing at this point. I do everything myself uh, because I can really only trust myself in my own time. Uh, my, my my friends are nice enough just to show up on the day that we have to get things captured. Um, I I can put it on myself to get the rest done. Uh, but I, I remember, you know, in the case of sexually Frank and you know about this too a little bit, um, Dan Leach was one of the two DP. So it was Kyle and Dan and Dan, uh, Dan's way into color correction. And at the time, Apple color was, was still, you know, it, well, it hadn't been end of life. Let's put it that way. It, it still existed. Um, <laughs> and he, uh. He said, uh, you know, I'd like to, to color correct this in Apple Color, but what that's going to mean is, you know, we this is a Canon 7D, so we don't really have a way of capturing, you know, certainly not raw. Um, we're, we're, we're getting a compressed format. So, in other words, we're not going to capture a lot of color information that we can then manipulate. Uh, so, we kind of together used uh, the EOS software to develop a really flat um, co- uh, color profile, and then... He did the first two – he was like, yeah, well, I'm going to color correct it when it's all done. I was like, you better because we're about to shoot this whole movie looking all flat and shitty. And uh, and if you don't do it, then I'm stuck. Um, so we got through the first two or three scenes. Um, he started to kind of fade off in terms of the reliability. Again, I can only ask him to show up. Um, but he had uh, on his desktop at work um, a folder of lynda.com tutorials on not just Apple Color but color correction in general. Because you kind of you can't just dive into a color correction uh, piece of software and be like, yeah, just click that and do this. No, you have to. There's some underlying concepts here that you need to be looking out for. Yeah.
1: No. The theory is the theory is way more important than the monkey buttons.
0: That exactly. You have to exactly. Learn to press. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> um, and uh, and and after yeah, about maybe two or three hours of of listening and and thinking and trying. Um, I was off to the races. I I did my first scene. It looked okay, and then I ended up actually redoing all the work he had done, and I did the entire movie. And now I I've gone back and I've color corrected. Um, I'm still, but of course, I'm still using Apple Color. Um, I redid Abo because that was shot in HDV, um, so not again a very compressed format, but still it, the resolution was 1080, um, and that movie was never exhibited that way. And I have to say, we very embarrassingly. Uh, so Doug Bergdorf, a very good friend of mine, shot that movie. And uh, when we were done, we weren't really thrilled by the look and as a couple of two 19-year-old morons, we just applied like kind of a constant contrast effect on the entire movie and that's what went out on the first DVD. It was just just kind of like slightly contrast, like it doesn't look good. I've gone back and, and I, I I graded the entire thing and it looks really nice on Blu-ray and then I was like, "Well, fuck, man." My first movie, the little amateur one, uh, is looking awful lonely, not on (laughs) Blu-ray. It kind of blew up into a massive Blu-ray that I've only just now finished, Uh, but went back and color corrected that as as well, which Dan was like, why? Like, you're not going to get any... That that was shot on the 24p. Like You'd be better off just dubbing it to VHS and being like, here, here's the (laughs) re-release. But I become something of a little color corrector. Did you see the final version of Sexually Frank? Like, yeah, I got the Blu-ray. Oh, good. You have the Blu-ray. All right. So so give it to me straight from a pro. Did I color grade that movie okay? Um, I
1: wouldn't call myself a pro colorist, but um, yeah, it looks great. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> really, really does look really good. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's consistent. There's a handful. Yeah, it, it, there's a there's a logic to it. A lot of times people will go in to color correct something and not really have a... They'll just like from shot to shot, just be like, well, this looks good. And then this looks good. And then, but you, like, the point of like a really true grade is like first for consistency, then for like embellishment on top of that. Yeah. And then like it needs to be appropriate for the project. And for like a, I don't know, I don't like relationship comedy. I, yeah. Yeah. Then it's it's exactly what what it needed, which is great.
0: Yeah, it, you know it's it helps a little bit where where we lit things a bit more flatly because I you know I have a a process where um, you know I like to start with a master and then I kind of go in and it, it, it's really it has everything to do with time constraints, right? Like I like to start with the shot that if we got kicked out of the location, if we had the master, we still have a movie, right? Like <laughs> right. you can still see everything. You can still see the actors and you can hear them speaking. So you have a movie and then you're like, all right, so what's the next most important? And then you push into the things that are kind of special. It's 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 interesting. Um, Another filmmaker I know recently shot a short and he shot it with um, uh, with a really respectable uh, director of photography, this 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 guy who just does incredible projects. Um and when he got there he was like I'd like to start with a master. You know, he he kind of had the same strategy as I did or at least he had his own kind of workflows on his own thoughts about how to get coverage. And this guy he's he's an incredible talent and he has his way of doing things and he's like, you know, I'm not I didn't realize you were interested in doing things that way. That doesn't really interest me was kind of what he said. Um and uh it 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 kind of made the the director lose complete focus over what they were doing you know I, I i sometimes need to light the entire space right not just one individual element after another which is what a proper dp and a proper crew would do but we don't do that so what that means is sometimes you don't get necessarily get to draw the viewer's eye as much as you'd like to on the element that you'd like to and that's where right. like color correction came in really handy for me where i was able to start to block things out and i started to ask i even asked the dp uh, well i asked kyle um like, did you notice that I shadowed that out? And he's like, no. And he shot it. I mean, he, he composed that shot. So, um, it, it works on that subconscious. I fucking love it. I can't believe I ever didn't do this. What I did do is after I was finished color correcting, I went into my workshop class and, uh, they were like, Whoa, it looks way better. And I was like, yeah, I've, I've been color correcting. they're like, Oh, you can color correct. I was like, yeah, as of this weekend, um, meaning you can too. And, and I I've, I've said that to a lot of people, you can too. And, um, they don't buy it, man. They just for some reason they don't buy that like a little application and a little time to learn would might might just do the trick. Uh but yeah, I, I I uh I'm excited to to continue to do them. But I think I'm you know, depending on the project, I need to sit down and kind of develop the look in advance. Uh like you're saying, like, okay, what what's the mood here? Because um, that's gonna inform the shooting and eventually the color grade as well.
1: Yeah, no, totally. You can you can get into all sorts of great stuff like that. When you're like repairing shots and drawing the eye and figuring out, like you can start doing like really subconscious stuff. Like, Oh, I want the skin, like I want the shots to start feeling more this way. So you start pulling the skin tones in like a certain direction over a handful of shots or like, um, re not recoloring things, but, um, like shifting tones to nail exactly the kind of like look and idea and thoughts that you're looking for, which like it's, yeah, for, for some reason people think that that's, like, this complete, like, untouchable black art of things. Yeah, but yeah. it's just, like, no, it's just you just fix the black levels a little bit and, like, up the color contrast and, like, maybe cool off the shadows a little bit and warm up the highlights and suddenly your movie looks, like, a thousand times better than whatever, like, flat-lit DV thing that you were swinging around before. Um,
0: and you can tweak out people's ideas like you can tweak out people's minds just a little bit with like you know in, in the case of Keith Sadek, the actor who's who's like a sheepish character just taking the color out of his face just a little tiny bit to have just that yeah. kind of that paleness and um you know not doing anything majorly stylistic just kind of tweaking the mood just a little bit it's really fun Well it's a, it's a lot it's a lot like music
1: where it's like you want mm-hmm. it to be a like very subtle subconscious compliment like you don't want to walk out of a movie being like, damn, that was some great color. Yeah. The same way you don't want to you same way you don't want to be like, man, all I can think about is that music that was playing. Yeah. it's like, no, you're missing the point. Like it's not it's all in service of the final feeling of the of the actual film. Um one of the I don't know if it was on this podcast or um on How Are We but uh Ah We. Um but you're talking about how in Australia everybody was like Holy shit! This looks like a real movie. Yeah. Or like, holy crap! You made a real movie, and like, I don't know how much of that was just from the look of it, having given it that love in the post process. Like, you know what I mean?
0: Oh yeah, I'm 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 sure that plays into it in a major way. Um, I mean, one thing that also helps is, um, but it's a problem is uh the the new sort of. DSLRs on. Now, don't get me wrong. I love DSLRs. I think that they've they've done... A, you know, I thought back in, like, the early 2000s that the 24p camera kind of changed. Um, f- filmmaking for independent filmmakers, like, forever. Um, I think these DSLRs are... are, are you know, we're finally kind of almost getting into a 35 look. So, the idea... By real, if we mean 35, then, then yeah, we're getting there. But it's especially the, the focal lengths with the lenses... But what you're seeing is this really kind of overcompensation of it, where it's like, finally, we can get these focal lengths we never could. Where the actor is, you know, in in a in motion picture, the actor is so in focus, the background is so not. And I feel like every, at least for maybe I'm, maybe it's cooled down a little bit now. But <clears throat> that first year, like 2010, when the Canon 7D first came out, fucking Vimeo was just inundated by so many one-four handheld nonsense
1: of just yeah. Like- it's scrubbing around focus, nothing's being
0: held, everything's just like and just, drifting it, in and out. It made me want to, um, like really badly design a film that has deep focus as its story. You know, find some kind of motivation, some kind of internal reason mm. to, to be, you know, creating distance between people where uh there's actually very little distance and because it's just something that <clears throat> that wasn't being used as much. Um because of that concept of a real movie. And, um, and I, think, I think that's what kind of what you and I are talking about right now is, is you, know, you can use color correction to make it look more professional or you can use it to um, to service your story, service your mood, and and that's really all. I find that audiences really kind of adjust um, within the first 10 minutes or so. Whatever you're showing them, as long as you can keep their interest for the first 10 minutes, they'll adjust to kind of what you're doing. So you can be kind of rough around the edges, especially now. I think YouTube has changed people's tolerance for um, you know th- this concept of real, not real, um, professional, unprofessional. I mean, everybody's watching everything now. Um, so, so it's, t- it, it's kind of an opportunity to just think about story that much more.
1: Um, oh, it's absolutely not like a binary though. It's also like, it, and can look more professional and it can serve as the story.
0: Oh and yeah. It's yeah, just yeah. a
1: matter of like learning how to get those tricks to like really eke out the most like production value yeah. possible. If you look um, at that,
0: if you look at the first, like like the raw footage of sexually frank it's it's pretty rough and i never knew it was rough you know until i color corrected, or until dan showed me the first few shots where i was like whoa that's that was the intent um so it, it it's a really crucial part of the post process you got to do it but i want to we've never talked to a visual effects guy um we've never really talked to anybody but filmmakers so far and if there is somebody listening who wants to not necessarily get a job, although I, th- I think they'd be interested in that, too, but just just kind of get their hands dirty. Uh, wh- where would you suggest they start? Photoshop? like something as simple as Photoshop?
1: Um, yeah, so you can do a lot of great things just with running around with your own camera, like I would totally say start with stuff that you shoot yourself. like cause that way you just because I've worked with people that are like, they are visual effects people, but they don't understand how a camera works. They don't understand how, like how to tell what, like roughly the focal length of a shot just based on how it looks and how like faces and backgrounds are relating to each other and how like focal length compression works. And I was like, well, you do know that your fucking job is to recreate things to make it look like it was all shot together through a damn camera. Right. Yeah. And like, so a fundamental under like you need to like be as well-versed in how a camera works as like a DP or a camera operator as a prerequisite to even like thinking about getting started and like stuff like this, because your end goal is to recreate things that look like they were made that way.
0: Um, Do cinematographers uh, work with you guys? Do they ever sit down with you guys? Um,
1: sometimes, especially like, when I'm doing like color grading projects like absolutely because you're trying to bring the best out of what it was that they shot Um, and DPs like they'll work a lot with um, a lot of friends of mine that are really great DPs know a ton about visual effects work just because if they have to shoot something on green screen they have to know like how to light it how to separate like a background from like so when you're doing green screen you want to light the background you want to light the green screen separately from how you're lighting the lighting all the foreground people like you don't want the same lights that you're using to like shape the look of somebody's face or to shape a scene to be like influencing like a color caster fall off or to color spill or whatever if you're doing stuff behind it because that separation is what's the most important part of getting a good color key to be able to use the footage later especially with like hair detail and all that other stuff um so shoot your own things, know how a camera works, and then just like don't be afraid to just dick around and make lots and lots and lots of mistakes
0: um, yeah I mean that that' you apl-
1: get somewhere that looks good
0: that's everything i mean that that applies to software as well. you know that there's you don't you don't need to go in as an expert. I mean you can really just play um find some time after work or on the weekends to 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 fuck around if you're really interested in this um that's exactly yeah that's exactly how i ended up with a career in it
1: yeah was literally just fucking around in my free time and then like thinking it was good enough that i could eventually get paid for it
0: yeah i think i think that's the case for for a lot of people who end up with careers uh paul Santagata, ladies and gentlemen uh there's no arms folded and and a puss on this guy's face he's an incredibly positive uh uncynical guy um and and you can tell, and it's why he's he's doing so well. It was awesome talking to you again, man. I'm I'm I, we should we should too. chat more often. Absolutely. All right, and thanks so much for all. I know you listen to our podcasts, and that's that just gives me a skip of my step. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, and uh, and best of luck to you. Let's let's keep in touch. Yeah. All right. Bye bye. Thanks a lot.